Welcome to this special episode of Career in Ruins. We're going to be covering a lot of topics today, notably around the Poverty Impact Report. Um, before we get going, I'd like to bring in Lou to flag some of the key resources and places you can go to if you are struggling. Some of the first ones that you may want to look at for help with cost of living, um, help with debt, benefits, entitlement, hardship funds, um, self-employment financial advice. Uh, the following organisations do offer these services for free, so you can go to Step Change Debt Charity, uh, National Debtline, Christians Against Poverty, Citizens Advice or Lightning Reach. If you need specific support on housing, homelessness or tenancy, head over to Shelter. Um, and if you or someone you know are experiencing an impact on your well-being or mental health, um, do go have a look at MIND. You can also go to SHOUT or text SHOUT to 85258. Uh, There's the Samaritans, Rethink and also Sane Line. Um, and if you do need help to locate your nearest food bank, try the Trussell Trust. Hello everyone and welcome to this special Career in Ruins podcast. Now, we've come together today with a panel of uh, leading experts and, and generally knowledgeable and interesting people because we, we wanted to do a bit of a, um, a unique take on something that's going on. I mean, over the last five years or so, at least in Britain, um, but also across the world, we've seen some pretty spectacular things going on, whether it's Brexit, whether it's COVID, whether it's a war in Ukraine, energy crisis, and also the current cost of living crises. And, and there are a whole host of things that have caught our attention within the world of archaeology. And I know there's a whole bigger thing going on far far bigger than than we are within a discipline or with, within individuals but there are people being genuinely affected and impacted by the things that are taking place and the little platform that Derek and I have in terms of this podcast and our listeners is um, an opportunity for us to perhaps shine a spotlight on things that are going on and bring in more knowledgeable people than we are um, to perhaps help our listeners understand what's going on and hopefully aid in um, their ability to find out more find support and and just generally um, yeah um, hopefully make things better for themselves what do, what do you think Derek am I doing a good job of describing I, what I, I, I'd say absolutely I think it's it's a it's an uncharacteristic turn for us to take a moment of pause and, and look seriously on the discipline of archaeology. We tend to focus our efforts on celebrating the joys and the, the ups of archaeology without focusing too heavily on the stresses, the anxieties, the, the problems that exist in our world. But I think it's important, particularly with the pressing cost of living crisis at the moment, to to pause and take stock and, as you say, bring in some knowledgeable people and just have a sobering conversation about archaeology at the moment, what it means to be an archaeologist and, and what support is out there and how we can help everyone in our discipline. Because we are a family, we're a community, we're not, we're not kind of isolated individuals working for our own gain. We, are, we all exist because of each other. We couldn't do it without every single 
single cog in the wheel of archaeology is necessary. And I think getting together this crowd of people as a, as a first conversation is a, a great thing to do. That's right. So we should say that this has been largely driven by a report report that recently came out um, entitled the Poverty Impact Report. And, and we will share a link to that uh, being pulled together by a series of fantastic individuals. But what, what we have got today is three great people that have given up their evenings to come and chat with us and, and hopefully help you guys better understand and, and become a bit better informed about options and on, uh, and other things that are going on. So just to give you an idea of who we've got, we've got Kate Geary, who's Head of Professional Development and Practice at the Chartered Institute for Archaeologists. We've got David Connolly, uh, the founder of British Archaeology Job Resource. And we've got Lou Stanton-Greenwood, who's a data engineer at Step Change, which is a debt charity. So thank you all very much for, for joining us this evening. Um, Kate, bef before we get too stuck in particularly with the report and then perhaps going in looking to provide um, some constructive discussion around um, uh, where people can find supports and ideas and, and whatnot. I wonder if you could just give us an overview of the state of play of archaeology at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a big question, but, um, but, but thanks Lauren, Lawrence and, and Derek for giving us this, this opportunity to, to talk about these issues in a bit more detail because they are very much in our minds and in everybody's minds, I think. Um, we, we've lived through some very difficult times over the last couple of years and there's no sign of things um, getting easier at the moment, which is uh, not a great place to be in, um, but there are lots of positives that I think we can talk about this evening. Um, and archaeology as a sector and as a discipline has been through some turbulent times in the past. Um, we know that David and I certainly have been around long enough to have been through some turbulent times um, in our careers. But I think what's different at the moment is that there's lots of work out there. I think the turbulence that we've experienced, or certainly I've experienced in over over 30 years of my career in the past has usually been down to the vagaries of the economic cycle and boom and bust um, in the construction sector and, and, and the turbulence has come from the, the jobs drying up and that's that's what's been really difficult for archaeologists and, and trying to plan and manage their their careers um, that the work just hasn't been there and that's not the case at the moment there are plenty of jobs there's plenty of work um, the employers that we talk to on a regular basis in our registered organizations are continuing to report being very, very busy um, and also continuing to report difficulties in recruiting skilled archaeologists um, with some very hard to fill posts coming up. Um, we know that there are issues around entry level posts and, and attracting enough people and the right the right caliber and the, of people into our profession. Um, and also the a diverse caliber of people into our profession. Um, we also know that there are big skills issues around junior management posts, right up into senior management posts. Um, and I think over the last um, probably five or six years, what I've seen is, is more employers taking that issue very seriously. Obviously, the combined impacts of Brexit and, and COVID and pressures in higher education have meant that that supply of graduates isn't quite as reliable as it used to be. Um, and that expectation that there would be far more graduates flooding the jobs market than there were posts available, I think is changing. Um, we're seeing more employers start to offer 
training posts, um, graduate training posts and non-graduate training posts. We've we've seen the first apprenticeships in archaeology be, de be delivered over the last couple of years. And I think from a CIFA perspective, we've seen a much better relationship with the higher education sector than we've had previously and, and a lot of close working on the development of a scheme for accrediting degree programs so we can actually start to try and influence the skills that graduates are coming out with and align them more closely with what the industry needs. Um, the other thing that I've seen change certainly over the last few years is um, through the CIFA registered organisation scheme is that expectation that all registered organisations should have a training plan in place for their organisations and they should be able to set out how they support new, um, new archaeologists to gain the level of competence that they need. Um, still early days and some there are still wrinkles to be ironed out with some of those schemes, but at least that, that recognition is there of the need and the importance of, of um, support and particularly early career support for new, for new archaeologists. Um, we're starting to see more schemes that look at career progression, but that's an area that I think is really underdeveloped, identifying talent within the workforce and particularly um, a, a fairly itinerant workforce on short-term contracts remains a challenge but I think we've still got a big issue about the sustainability of our profession um, and I don't think we can genuinely say that we have sustainable careers in archaeology when we can see so many of our colleagues leaving the profession um, in the face of, of significant challenges. Um, there's an interesting article um, that will feature in the next edition of The Archaeologist, um, which should be hitting doormats for CIFA members if it hasn't already very soon. And it's by Kenneth Aitchison, who's chair of the Federation of Archaeological Employers and Managers, the Trade um, Association for Archaeology. And in that, he talks about the fact that we don't have a jobs problem, we have a careers problem. And we haven't recognised the value of archaeologists and particularly field staff. Um, our business models don't recognise the value that they contribute to the industry and that needs to change. And, and I have to say that I'm, I'm completely in agreement with that. Um, I think, I think it's, a, it, it's a point that has not been given enough prominence in discussions. We've focused organisations inevitably focus on their short term labour market challenges, getting enough enough staff to, to staff the next the next project, the next excavation. But actually, I think what the current situation really highlights is the need to invest in those careers and keep those people. It's all about retention at the moment. Um, and we are seeing employers taking steps to support their staff through the current cost of living crisis. Um, anecdotally, there's a lot of discussion about what employers are doing, whether that's increasing their mileage rates, whether it's increasing their overnight allowances, whether it's looking at one-off payments to staff to help them out um, through sort of current, current financial pressures. Um, and the challenge I think we'll have is to sustain those improvements to the working conditions for archaeologists once the current crisis is over, so that becomes normal. Um, and I think there is a platform through the, the information sharing that we do through CIFA to make sure that those, um, those improvements can be sustained and become the norm, really, and what, what archaeologists should expect. Um, I think that's it for me on the current state of play.
Oh, that's perfect. Thank you for that, Kate. Um, David and Lou, um, obviously the, the thing, as we've mentioned, it brought us together today is the uh, the poverty impact report. And I wonder if, if, if David, if you could sort of give it, give a bit of an abstract on that to us so we can get a sense of what it contains. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, uh, thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, well, I'll keep this quite short and light because I'd like Lou to, to explore it more. But um, the background to it, actually, of Badger's been at the forefront of fighting for better prospects for archaeologists for nearly 25 years now, along with CIFA and uh, Prospect. But it's been, it's been sort of a, a raison d'etre for myself. And uh, the fabulous uh, Liz Tidswell, who can't be with us today, sadly, um, it's been something which has been at her heart for years now. And it's like this, she's seen the, the desperation in archaeologists uh, over the past 10 years. And she often goes to food banks and she recently sort of came back after being at a food bank and saying, she's seeing nurses going to food banks. I wonder how many archaeologists are also having to use food banks. And so we had a quick chat and this is the, the, the fabulous thing about badgers, it's agile, it can move fast. So we had a chat, um, Lou, Liz, Gwil, myself, and we came up with questions that could be put into a survey which would gather data about what was going on. And I think the, the key part of it was we didn't really expect uh, the response that we got. I'm really happy that we got, we got I think um, 755, 760 responses from this. And that gave us lots and lots of data. But at the end of the day, there was a free text as well and that provided the testimonies and it's something you can't ignore something which people have kept on coming back to a time and time again the testimonies of 755 individuals all saying the same thing over and over again and we were very aware that prospect is also looking at this uh, doing a survey on the wider heritage um, industry and CIFA are also working on this as well so what we were doing was just trying to see and trying to use Badger as a platform to gain the information about what was actually happening to the archaeologists. And it was frankly pretty damned harrowing. I think many people, we actually had to put a warning on it, and many people who have responded to me have said the same thing, that they can't read it all in one go. That's the harsh reality we have. And I'll throw now the, <laughs> I've made it all heavy, and I'm just going to throw now to, to Lou to actually explain um, the methodologies and some of the key um, headlines that we got from this report. Thanks, David. Um, I think once the survey results came to me, um, it was fairly simple to work with. We hadn't asked any complicated questions. We hadn't been doing any fancy maths with it. It was just very basic questions that we could then uh, digest, dice up, turn into something that would be very easy uh, to produce. So um, in terms of the methodology, it was incredibly simple. We were looking at very basic numbers. Um, and realistically, I think when we went into looking at the data, our primary concern that was we might see a bit of a skewed data set if only the most impacted people responded, um, which would have given us only a very precise glimpse into one demographic. Um, that fortunately wasn't what happened. 
Um, we saw a very robust variance in the response demographics and it allowed us to have a, a really good view across the sector. Um, I will go through the headline uh, numbers, but before I do, um, I'm going to just mention that if anybody who is listening is struggling, there are resources out there available to help. Um, they are listed on page two of the report if you'd like to download it. However, um, should you need it now, uh, Step Change Debt Charity can be of help, National Debt Line can be of help, Christians Against Poverty can be of help too. Um, and if you do have specific uh, needs for support on housing, homelessness and tenancy advice, uh, do head over to Shelter. So once we have um, started to look at the data itself, I think one of the most stark numbers that really hit us was um, the percentage of income that was being spent on rent and energy in your average um, respondent living alone household, we were looking at um, over half, 62% in fact, of people uh, would be considered under the poverty line only after they've spent money on rent and their utility bills. So that was really quite a heavy number for us to absorb. Um, and I think there were two others that were of particular significance. Um, one being the condition of people's mental health uh, across the sector, so 72, so nearly three quarters of people, 72% of people were reporting that they had negative emotional impact from their financial situation. Um, that for every demographic was either half or over. So we are looking at, at quite a critical impact on people's mental health. And I think that was the one that really hurt us when we were looking at the numbers. Um, but the one that really stood out in terms of the future of the industry uh, was that only 35% of people who responded felt confident that they could continue in archaeology. Um, so going back to Kate's point about retention, um, we are starting to see really quite problematic numbers. Only 21% of early career archaeologists felt that they could continue. So not only are we starting to see a very um, personal picture of people's situations, we're also starting to see really quite a bleak outlook for the future of, of the industry as a whole. Um, at Badger, we kind of, we, we hear, we read, we see anecdotal evidence of how people are feeling and the struggles they're facing. Um, but I don't think any of us anticipated just how significant the results of the analysis would actually be. Um, and the supporting comments, as David mentioned, they provided us with such a stark picture into people's lives. Um, and when the numbers came out, I think it's fair to say we all just had to take a moment to sit and absorb them um, and, and really feel them. Um, and it's, it's, there's kind of a double impact that comes out of the numbers of this report. It's hit people. We can see that it's hit people. People are not able to afford food. We've got people who are very much in food poverty. Um, when we started looking at food poverty, the numbers were, were really quite shocking. Um, in some cases, um, for early career archaeologists in particular, 
around half of both family and single households were what we would consider to be in food poverty. They were having to make decisions about their finances based on whether or not they could eat. So it's hit people and it will hit employers hard, I think, because this is realistically showing us a picture that just isn't sustainable. Um, I think the biggest thing I've personally taken away from the report is the lack of hope that's in the workforce. Um, and I think that just believing that change is not just possible, but is also you know, an active, transparent part of employers' strategies would go a long way to better morale and better mental health. Um, but of course, people can't eat or heat their home, homes with hope. Um, there's a lot to be done to tackle very real day-to-day -day difficulties. And I think that begins with collective investment in and with each other. Um, the mechanics of the investment itself will be unique to each employer naturally, but um, I think it's going to become very important that we have forums for sharing ideas and um, supporting each other will be essential to our progress. Um, and it really has to be a collective movement that doesn't leave progress solely in the hands of the unions either. So the report itself is difficult. Um, I personally found it very bruising to read 755 comments and keep working on this data. But I really hope that it means that we've got some numbers that say it's hard and we have to make a difference. Now we have to start making a change. So that was the headline numbers and um, a bit of uh, context around it. But Thank you. Thank you so much for so eloquently summing that up for us. Um, I must admit, I've struggled to get into reading the whole report and to hear everything there. It's very difficult to find the right words, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, I spend my days prepping the next generation of archaeologists and to imagine, to, to be setting them on a course that <laughs> feels quite dark is, is a very difficult thing to hear out loud and to conceptualise out loud. Um, so I'm going to pass over to Lawrence for a minute. While I yeah, ponder. yeah that's, that's absolutely fair. And as, as Derek said, you for just putting it so clearly and, and yeah, setting out our stool. I think um, one, one thing you did talk about is positivity. And, and one thing that this podcast will always look to do is try and see, see the positivity, look for light and look for any I think silver lightning is the wrong word, but or terminology, but look to provide hope and support and engagement and enthusiasm. And, that, and that's all we can do as as career in ruins. And that's what we can do as this panel, perhaps through the rest of this podcast. So what uh, something you, you said there was about collective investment in each other, Lou. And I think that's a, a great turn of phrase to perhaps focus on for the rest of this podcast. So thinking about some particular areas where anyone who's listening, who is struggling, who or who is worrying about the fact that they will be struggling in a year's time or perhaps even is a current or prospective archaeological student and perhaps between us we can provide in a, in a few set areas a few words of wisdoms points of reference or or some ideas of where to look or, or how they might be able to take a few things into their own control where, wherever possible in this um, pretty tricky 
environment that we find ourselves in. And I guess Lou, you 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 started off your your bit there in give, providing some a, a brilliant resource list in terms of uh, where people can can go to to get help in terms of the um, Step Shane's um, website, the National Debt Line um, Shelter, um, and we, we will also put a link to the report in the in the podcast so people can go straight there. And as you said, there it's page two of the report has got a series of different resources. And yeah, I, 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 there there are so many things we can point people at in terms of help and support and resources in terms of themes here, whether it's um, financial support, whether it's um, um, yeah, I mean, there are I won't list them all off, but um, if we just do a quick round table, but uh, okay, um, it, 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 yeah, what what would you be your advice for people? Well, I think the first thing I wanted to say was. The thing that I found most valuable about the report is I'd, I've been dealing with issues about pay in archaeology, working conditions, standards and training and skills for a long time. And a lot of it in, in recent years has been at a, a strategic level. And what I found very valuable about the report is that it, it reminded me of the human cost of this. It's very easy um, to get drawn into thinking about everything in terms of strategies and policies and guidance documents and and things like that and and to lose sight of the people that are affected so that um was really important to me and it and, and that report really made me stop and think about why we do what we do and why what what we're trying to achieve working at CIFA and working with colleagues um like um David and Lou at Badger and with Fame and with Prospect and others is really important and I think what you just said, Lou, about the lack of hope, I, you can't eat hope, you're absolutely right, but I would really like to um, promote the fact, really, and highlight the fact that, that this report is being talked about and people are taking it very seriously. And um, we had a long discussion with our advisory council yesterday about the report and what we could do. There's a list of actions that CIFA staff have come up with, but we've thrown that out to our advisory council to tell us what else we can be doing um, and to add their experience um, into that mix. So I would hope that some of the respondents to the survey who who are in those, those situations um, might at least take some hope and optimism from the fact that it is being taken very seriously and there are things that we can do um, one of the things that, that we will do um, as soon as, as we can organise it is to bring um, senior managers and chief executives from our registered organisations together to talk about what, what they're already doing and to share, to provide that forum for sharing um, thoughts and ideas and also for to almost um, dispel any concerns they might have that if they provide additional benefits or if they look to improve their subsistence rates or if they're looking at payments that they're not being undercut by other organizations who aren't doing it to really promote the fact that a lot of employers are thinking about this. Um, but I think there's a lot a lot that individual archaeologists can do as well. Um, and what I, what I don't want to do is put all the onus on archaeologists who are already struggling and who are probably, you know, in many cases at the early stages of their career and put all the onus on them to, to sort the problem out. Um, they didn't create this problem. Um, but there are things I think that individual archaeologists can do. And the thing that I would really encourage people to do is to understand their own value, understand the system 
and where they fit into it and what they offer to it, what they contribute and be able to articulate that. And there are people who can help, especially if you're an early career archaeologist, there are people who can help with that. Um, Badger obviously does a huge amount to help people. Um, CIFA's Early Careers Group is incredibly active now and that's a big change actually that I've seen over the last few years is that that archaeologists earlier in their career seem far more proactive in seeking out information and guidance and support and talking about these issues and whether it's say the CIFA Early Careers Group um, there's a uh, in, in Scotland I know there's a conference of, of archaeology students and the, the, the archaeology societies at the universities get together um, there are lots more sort of mutual support mechanisms there to help people understand the industry that they've they've come into. And I think really understanding where you fit in that 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 industry, what you contribute to it, what employers want, what they value, whether it's your employer or the next employer, to understand that and be able to tap into that and offer the the right sort of skills. Um, and also, and and I think this is really important is not to listen to people who say don't ask because you won't get they might be right but it doesn't hurt to ask do it anyway ask if your employer isn't one of these these employers who's offering better terms and conditions at the moment or looking to improve ask them because they can only say no and if enough people ask them they'll stop saying no because as i said right at the beginning retention is really important at the moment and employers want to keep good staff so i think if I could encourage people to really understand their value um, and fight for it, and we'll do everything that we can to help and support with that, um, then I think that would be my big key message. I think understanding value, one's own value is a huge thing. And Lawrence and I often on the podcast talk about making your own luck in, in this world and in this profession. And I think knowing your value and asking and pushing and being being confident in yourself to to, to big yourself up and to ask for questions and to push for boundaries is a huge part of making your own luck. And in years to come, when when early career archaeologists become older archaeologists, they'll look back on it and they'll say, oh, I was really lucky. But really, that isn't luck. It's it's pushing yourself. And, and while we're on the subject of hope, um, I remember back in the day when I was an early career archaeologist and there was a uh, financial crisis at the time. And I remember Badger and David, you were pushing hard at the time for wages and conditions within archaeology. And Kate, as you mentioned, the, the this report gives cause, gives a catalyst for us to, to think, to, to, to bring this into focus in a way that I don't think we've had for a long time. Um, and David, in terms of the industry as a whole you've probably got your finger on a pulse in a way that the rest of us don't i suspect in terms of the, the job market and what's out there are there positive signs coming from this are you seeing you, we, we've seen as you say uplifts in subsistence and things like that but how is the industry responding david interesting interesting um interesting question <laughs> i've had a number of phone calls uh, over the past week and uh, just had a couple today which are are quite relevant to what you're asking now. Um, initially, it was like I actually came from Cotswolds who um, got in touch and said, we are dealing with this by uplifting everyone's uh, rates by, I think, two and a thousand, two and a half thousand pounds. 
they 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 decided that was the best way. They're adding another five hundred pounds, um, at Christmas, and they're um doing another three point one percent rise. That was the way that they did it, and then interestingly, another company got in touch with me and said well, how we're going to deal with it because we can't do that is we're going to do this and we're going to be adding this into the pension and uh, keep retention so that they've actually got a higher pension rate and we're going to be uplifting the subsistence. And I went, that's great. And another company went, the way that we're going to deal with it is this way. I went, that's superb. Um, I think Lou was saying, and uh, we're all saying the same thing, each company is going to have its own way of um, retaining staff, but it's got to retain them. I had one company say, um, I'm not getting any... Uh, applications for a job why is that and I looked at how much they were offering I went that's why because you can't to to badly paraphrase as well you can't eat uh, a cycle to work um, a 50% off gym scheme doesn't help you uh, you know you can't put that on the fire not helping so what is it that your employees need and that was the key thing I've been saying to them is ask your employees what is it they need to keep them going I then had a, a couple of very weird conversations with um, a couple of uh, large developers and a national organisation. I can't. Uh, they've they asked me not to name them, but one is a major developer, um, and they both said the same thing. There are tens of millions of pounds worth of archaeological work in the pipeline. Uh, Kate was saying exactly the same thing. Uh, at the start of this show and it's there is tens of millions of pounds coming into British archaeology there is more work than we can deal with now quality is what matters and with quality it will I think we we'll, might discuss this a little bit later hopefully is skilling up your workforce is providing your workforce with a reason to, to learn and, and gain the skills which will make them more profitable for the company, make the company more profitable, and in return, uh, bring something back to the employees. It's, it's about all of us working together. So in a nutshell, there's more work than you can shake a stick at coming up, with more money than you can shake a stick at coming up. We can take that opportunity right now and we can all work together to make sure that instead of sort of this bizarre um, trickle-down effect, it actually goes to, to all of us equally. Add to that that companies are acknowledging that there's an issue. And this was the whole point of this report. It wasn't to tell people what to do. It was to create the discussion. And boy, is it being discussed. Um, and with that discussion, the support should be there from CIFA, from Badger, from Prospect, to help the employees talk to the employers, to help the employers talk to their employees, each finding their own way forward. I'm just going to briefly quote from FAME's mission statement, if I may, because that's exactly it. Their whole point, their whole point is the well-being of employees is prioritised so that archaeologists feel empowered to build careers and expertise. That's the point. That's the point. 
That's fantastic. Thank you, David. I think um, you covered so many good areas there and um, and so much information to, to compute. I, I think there's there's potentially one area that, that we haven't necessarily covered. Derek, I'm actually going to come to you with, with this initial question, but I'm sure everyone can jump in and support you here. But uh, there's we, we've had in we've had it mentioned in the podcast in the port in the past, perhaps when we were doing the dig for archaeology, that there's perhaps an unfair position that university students are coming out of university and they're not field ready um uh, they, they, they don't they can't get stuck in they only know how to write a report I, i'm paraphrasing and i'm being deliberately um facetious but um but in terms of the students that you see every day and the students that, that are getting turned out across the country obviously they are getting fantastic transferable skills they are doing field work and not not one one student is not every student's going to come out to be a field archaeologist or a, a, whatever it is that they might be, turn out to be but it in terms of your students you've got now prospective students that you have Derek what, what's the your best advice you got for them in terms of making the most of that that learning experience so that they're best equipped to come out and and fill those gaps that we've heard of and and upskill themselves I think that's a, a really good question and I'm, I'm going to have to walk a very fine line to avoid myself getting fired here um, but <laughs> The, the reality is that all universities, I suspect, but I can only really speak for, for my own, offer a whole breadth of value-added experiences that are there if you're prepared to kind of reach out and grab them with both hands. And the, the spectrum of graduates we produce, and I suspect our, 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 the other universities in the country produce as well, um, will go from the very keen who've embraced every single opportunity within reason. Everyone has to, to work and subsist and get by and, and get through university. So there's obviously a balance in terms of the, much, the amount of time people can commit to kind of extracurricular development. But even so, those that have grasped it 100% tend to go on and do very, very well. And you can see, you can chart their careers and see that happening. But of course, a, a, from the from the eyes of the profession, a graduate is a graduate. And you don't know whether they're necessarily the ones who've been involved in everything or whether they've kind of coasted through and they've they've got to the other side. But we we and, and, and other universities are trying to overcome that as best we can. We, for example, now give all of our first years a skills passport, which they carry with them throughout. And I think that gives a very genuine appraisal of someone's time at university in a way that I think transcripts don't have the same ability to. Um, but it's... I've, I've, gone off on a tangent there haven't I um, no, no, it's all good <laughs> I think, I think you, you you said what I was hoping you'd say but, but um Kate Kate you mentioned about the growth in the early careers group and and there are student memberships for the the Charleston Institute for Archaeologists I know that's another cost potentially in in, 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 in a in an expensive time but perhaps it's an opportunity for you to highlight what what people can gain from from these resources and what, what the, yeah, why, why they should look at them. Yeah, sure. So the first thing to say is that for students who are on accredited um, degrees, um, CIFA student membership is free to them as part of that. Um, so they can join CIFA for free. Um, if they're not on an accredited degree, the student rate um, is reasonably affordable. I should know what it is off the top of my head. Um, I, I, and I'm afraid I don't. But if it's too much, then they can join the early careers group. I think it's £10 a year. Um, and that gives them access to um, events and training opportunities. 
If they do join CIFA as a student member, then they can sign up to our Pathways Bulletins, which will is a series of bulletins that they get. Um, I think they come out um, quarterly and um, really highlighting how they can develop their skills and how they can start to shape their own careers, um, signposting lots of useful resources and also helping them to learn how to talk about their competence. Because I think what we see quite often is people find it difficult to talk about. You can talk about what you've done and what you've learnt, but not necessarily describe that in terms of competence in a way that an employer will really understand what, what distinguishes this student from, from all the others. What can they really do um, that's going to add value to the, to the employer? Um, so I think it's, it's well worth signing up to. Um, we're trying to work with, with universities to come out and do more careers talks and talk to students. Um, there are, there are lots of resources on the CIFA website. There's a whole new careers section that, uh, my colleague Anna has been working on for, for a long time now. Um, and that will grow and develop over, over the years. But I think the best thing that, that students can do is really engage with the, the organizations that are there to, to help them and support them. Um, and, and, and really just. I'd absolutely echo what you said, Derek, about taking all the opportunities, really engaging with them. And I know that, that, that circumstances are, are difficult for some students and there are constraints on that. But uh, yeah, really making the most of all those opportunities and thinking about what those what the skills are that they're gaining from those opportunities. I, th I think just just to echo those points, and there's there's a really important message in there. I think um, it's 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 so important for universities to develop and keep pace with the discipline as a whole. It, it's it's very easy the, the the pace at which things work in higher education can at times be sluggish, as I suspect we all know. Um, working on cycles of four to five years when it comes to refreshing degrees um, in kind of a macro sense. But one thing I've noticed recently, um, having been having worked with CIFA on accreditation and um, been through that process, we've just gone through the process of renewing and refreshing all of our degree programmes. And having that accreditation and that framework for accreditation already embedded means we could tweak elements of the new degrees to something that is more centrally valued in terms of the profession. So that, that conversation and that dialogue that the accreditation scheme has beyond student memberships is, is hugely valuable for how the, the sector develops from the ground up in that sense. So it's, it's been hugely valuable and hugely, hugely important. Um, and I would say just one more, one more little higher education moment for hope before I, I shut up and stop wittering on. Um, this was the first year in, I think, in my time in higher education where we've seen a significant uplift in archaeology students. Um, there's a demographic uplift in 18-year-olds at the moment, which is great. But we had, I think, at Bournemouth a 40% rise in applicants and a similar rise in actual people turning up on day one. To the point I had to book two minibuses for our field trip instead of one, which was a... Sorry, two buses, not minibuses, two buses. Um, and I've heard anecdotally across um, across the sector that's that's been mirrored in other places. And that is, that is well above the pace of other courses and other programmes. I think there has been more applicants this year, and I think post-COVID has some Something to do with that but the average is around 15 to 20 percent so archaeology as a discipline is appearing and seeming to be appealing to to more people at the moment which it can only be a good thing hopefully mm -hmm. if we can find them jobs 
Um, well, jobs isn't the problem. We just got to get the jobs that will pay them nice, nice amounts of money. Um, look, we we could talk about this. I mean, we, we we've probably gone on a bit longer than than we'd initially planned to, and it's all it's all been great stuff. But we could talk, we could carry on talking about this for another two hours, I suspect, and, and and the rest. But what I'd like to do just do a bit of a roundtable in terms of summing up and give you all opportunities to potentially just just cover something that we haven't necessarily covered or that you think we might have gone over too too lightly to to appoint people in the direction of where they you think they should go or look at something or just just mention a point of view that you think perhaps is is valid before we before we sign off so Lou if I if I can start with you um yeah sure um I think speaking as a student coming into this and trying to get myself into this career the, the thing that I would say is it's still totally worth it. Um, you will find the very best people here. You will find the most interesting things in your life. Um, we've got a bit of work to do, but it's absolutely worth it. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Thank you for that. David, what about yourself? It's that's a that's a fabulous thing to, to follow. Um, again, I'm just going to say that thing about worth is know your worth. Believe in yourself. And when it comes to it, know your value and, and, and stick with it. There's companies out there who will leap to get people who care about archaeology, who will understand the skills that you have gained, the effort that you've put in, the money that you've invested. And there are companies maybe out there who won't see it in, in, like that either. But basically, if you want to have a market decide then you, as the employee, do the decisions, and that will help as well. Thank you, David. And Kate, just if you, if you can take us home. Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd like to go back to something Lou said at the beginning, actually, which is about um, believing that change is possible. I think um, a prerequisite of change is believing that it's possible. And it is, um, but it takes everybody to play their part, whether that's somebody starting out in archaeology as a, as a new student or an apprentice or a trainee, or whether it's the chief executive of the largest organisation in, in employing archaeologists in, in the country. We all have a part to play in that. And I honestly and truly and genuinely believe that we can change things and create a sustainable profession and sustainable careers that people really want to do for exactly the reasons that Lou's outlined. Um, so yeah, believe in change, I think. Thank you, Kate. Um, that just leaves us to thank all three of you for joining us this evening, giving up your Thursday um, evening and, and having this really constructive conversation. And, and we will provide links to a number of the things that have been discussed um, in, in, across the conversation within the uh, the text in the podcast in, on your whatever device you're looking at. Uh, do check out the uh, current state of play um report um the, or the um the research document that was produced um remind me david david of the uh, the report name is uh, well it's almost got several fi uh, names but um let's call it the poverty impact report that's it thank you i don't i don't i've underlined current state of play but that's not the right name for the report apologies um do check out that report um and do check out 
the British Archaeological Resource website in general, that there's plenty of information and support to be had there. There's the Diggers Forum. Uh, there's plenty of great social media websites um, with, with, with groups that you can, can communicate with individuals that might be going through similar things as yourself. And most of all, check out the Chartered Institute for Archaeologists resources online as well. Um, for now, everyone out there, understand your value and keep asking the questions. Thank you.